Good morning, Well family. It is good to be back with you and worshiping here together. Um, this morning, I woke up in comfort, and you probably did too. You probably woke up in a nice cozy bed as fall is starting, and you kind of want to go get your pumpkin spice latte, and you have a choice on which latte you want to get, right? Like, now we'll be honest with a two-week-old, I did not get much sleep, but it was still in a comfortable setting, okay? And so there's a, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of joy. I had a fan above me. How many of you sleep with a fan above you? Okay, we're in Texas, you have to. Uh, in fact, you probably got to choose which coffee you got this morning. You got to choose if you wanted coffee or tea, or if you wanted a little matcha, because we in Austin, okay? You got to choose which shoes you wanted, or for, you know, Juhan, which pair of Jordans he wanted, okay? You got to choose what jeans, you know, do I want black jeans or blue jeans? You had all these choices, and it's kind of nice. In fact, while you're watching this, you're probably still in your PJs yelling at your kids and your dog because it's Sunday morning and it's a guy gathering, right? Like, you have the freedom to do that, to stay in and do that. In fact, you also probably are not wondering where your next meal is coming from. I'm not. I mean, hey, I could call Jimmy John's right now, and me and Anthony could have two sandwiches before this message is over, right? Oh, he's on that keto thing, okay? They'll still, they would even cater to him and give him some little wrap thing, whatever it might be. You can be catered to in Austin, Texas in 2020. In fact, you would not just get a sandwich, you can actually order anything to go now because we're in COVID. You can have alcohol delivered to your house now, okay? It is crazy times we live in. And for our affluency and our comfort, we can get just about anything we want on our little phones or iPads or whatever it might be. I did not wake up with a headache this morning that was throbbing because of hunger. It might have been because of my daughter crying, but. I did not wake up wondering where my next meal would come from. And so as we talk about poverty this morning, I really want us to be awakened and learn how different it is than we might think. Some of us are experiencing hardship right now, and I do want to acknowledge that. And we're in a crazy season where I have more friends unemployed right now than at any other point in my life. And so I want to acknowledge that. And at the same time, I want us to go a little deeper and learn today. I want us to learn what poverty really looks like and the effects of it. And see, many Christians, we love talking about justice. We love talking about mercy. In fact, many of you have loved this series. You've loved sending things out. You've, you've shared it, and we love that. Please continue to do that. But you might not be realizing one of the undergirding things, the foundational things for so many of these injustices is actually an inequality of wealth and poverty. And so as we understand abortion, like we talked about a few weeks ago, or the foster system, what Juhan talked about, man, those things are massively connected with poverty. If you grew up in foster care, you're way more likely to become homeless. If you grew up in poverty as a woman, you're much more likely to get an abortion. So as we consider these topics, and we're, we're excited to be advocates, we're excited to jump into things, we're excited for topics of the day as Christians, that is good and right. 
But let's not just be excited about talking about it. Let's learn how we can actually make a difference. And so many of you have signed up for classes. You've signed up for opportunities to learn and grow and serve. Let's continue to learn and humble ourselves before the Word of God to understand really what I would call today a theology of poverty. I want you to put on your ear thinking caps, and I hate that that's the only word I could think of right there. (laughs) But let's think together. Let's learn together. Let's be taught by God what poverty actually is and looks like, okay? So I've got my professor glasses on. Get your Bibles. Get your journals. Let's continue to dive in. And so really within this, I have three goals for us as we understand the theology of poverty. The first is that we would see Jesus' heart for the poor. The second is that we would be able to see the least of these, that we would know who the least of these are. And the third is that we would be awakened and understand the gravity of poverty, okay? And so to start, I want to go to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. I'm going to have my friend Scott Graham read that for us. Hey, everyone. My name is Scott Graham. Uh, I serve on the Sunday operations team, and I also help lead the 290 East community group. I'm going to be reading today from Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Scott, thanks for reading that for us this morning. Man, as I I look at this here, I see that Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. It's, It's like when he finishes, he says, this scripture has been fulfilled. I mean, that's kind of the ultimate mic drop right there. Jesus saying, I am the one that this prophecy is talking about. I am the one in my mission, in my heart from the Father, and to obey him is to come and to preach good news to the poor. You and I are poor spiritually, yes, but Jesus literally means the poor. It's not like he's saying something and we're twisting it. It's like, no, he means the poor because the poor are dependent. The poor know they need a Savior. The poor know they need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so right from the beginning, we see that God's heart, his very plan was to send his son to those that were the least of these, those that were poor in spirit, those that needed a Savior, Not those that are prideful and think they don't need Jesus, but actually, it's great. Uh, Missionary David Livingston talks about God's heart for his son, and he says, God had one and only son. He made that son a missionary. God sent Jesus into this world and anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. Really, this is the gospel, right? that you and I are far from God, that you and I are broken and poor in spirit. We can't do anything to earn our way back to God. And Jesus has come down to us. He was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. And as you and I image Jesus and look more like Jesus, we are called to do the same. If you are a son and daughter of God, man, if, if God wants to do that for his one and only son, don't you think he wants to send you to do the very same thing? If he's willing to give up his son to go and to proclaim news to the poor, man, does anyone do that with you and me? I mean, do you think you're better than Jesus? Or do you think you should follow in his footsteps and go preach to the poor? I am convicted by this. Really, all week, I'm looking at my life and how different seasons I have given more time and effort in different ways. And where I find my comfort, I often run away from the mission of God. 
And so I look here and I see that this is the gospel. And as children of God, we're called to follow our big brother, to follow Jesus and do what he did for his father. See, as believers, we can and we should do something. We should follow Christ's example. And this isn't just an Old Testament or New Testament thing. This didn't just happen when Jesus showed up. It was like, now all of a sudden, if you believe in God, you're supposed to help the poor. Actually, Moses in the law talked a lot about this. In fact, in Deuteronomy 15, 11, he really says that for the poor will never cease to be in the land. But then in the New Testament, Mark 14, 7, Jesus says, for the poor, you will always have with you. And I wrestle with that. I'm like, okay, why are the poor always going to be here? Like, if God is God and I'm not and he's got, like, why do the poor exist? Why does poverty exist? It's because this world is not what it's supposed to be. It's a very broken and messed up world. You and I know that. We've felt that. We've talked about that in COVID. We've experienced that. But we know the world is not as it should be. And so until the kingdom comes, until Jesus comes, there will be poverty. We see that in those two scriptures right there. You will always have the poor with you. Now, there's many who've actually declared war on poverty. They're fighting a social justice purely, and they've said that really they believe that they will win that war. And that's an illusion this side of heaven. And it's the same illusion and for many of the same people that can't believe or stomach the reality of hell because our God is just and he's good and there is more to come outside of this world. There is gonna be a day where there will be no more tears. There's gonna be a day where there's no more suffering and poverty is suffering. And so for us to grasp this, we have to have a view of heaven and not just try to create a utopia here on earth where we miss out on the reality of something so much better than what we can see and understand right now. So if Moses and Jesus are saying the poor will always be with you, I probably need to listen, right? Like, it's Moses and Jesus. Let's stop there, okay? But then Moses and Jesus also, if you, you put all their sayings and writings together, they come up with another kind of secondary part of this phrase. And Moses says this, he says, if there is a poor man with you, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. But then New Testament, Jesus says this, give to him who asks of you, freely you received, freely give. Give to the poor. And so we're kind of given this statement and and a friend of mine Dr. Alan Pura, he says this, and he puts these two statements together. He says, you will always have the poor with you, therefore open your hands freely and give. You will always have the poor with you, therefore open your hands and freely give. Man, that's a weighty statement if we actually live that out. It's really easy to talk about, but it's a whole nother thing to live that out. See, our responsibility to our needy neighbor is to live understanding that poverty exists and is real, having empathy and compassion, but then also putting out a hand, saying, I'm willing to give. Am I willing to live with open hands? And as we see really what we could call the role of the righteous wealthy, when we look at Matthew 25 in just a second, is we're seeing this role where Jesus has put you and I, if you live in America, in a position to give. He's put you in a place and given you opportunity to give to others. In fact, even the homeless in Austin are much more well off than 90% of the world. And when you understand the gravity of your wealth and the gravity of your opportunity, you might be more inclined to give, not just to someone, but to the king. 
because it's all his. And so everything he's given you, he's entrusted to you with the purpose of blessing others. So I want to go to Matthew 25, actually, and jump into this parable. It's actually Jesus' last parable before he goes to the cross. So if this is the last thing Jesus is trying to get across, it might be pretty important for us, okay? And it has to do with the final judgment. And to give you a little context here in Matthew 25, this is a moment where he's talking about salvation, and yet he's also talking about giving to the poor. And so we're going to wrestle with that. We're going to understand the weight of our obedience, and we're going to understand the weight of us really being taught by God here that we have to give. And if we don't, it's actually a lack of a fruit of, of salvation in our lives. And so if your heart's not inclined to give, if you're not even questioning, man, ask God for that heart. Ask him to give you a heart to question, what can I do? How can I bless others? Okay. And so I'm going to ask my friend Megan Dunnigan to read from Matthew 25. Hi, my name is Megan Dunnigan. I am on the welcome team here at The Well, and I also serve as a community group shepherd for Central North CG. Today, I'm going to be reading to you Matthew 25, verses 34 through 46. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or a stranger, or naked or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Megan, thanks for reading that. I know that's a lot for us to unpack. And so we're going to do that the rest of today as we really try to learn and be taught by God what he wants us to do for the poor, for the least of these. And you saw that right there a few times as Jesus is mentioning that he's identifying himself with the least of these. But one of the first things that sticks out to me, not just in this setting, but when Jesus is telling this parable, this story of what is to come, he's also talking about the nations. He's talking about multiple groups of people. And we've been talking about diversity around here. And I want to give you some diversity that is really global today, okay? And so that we would have a better perspective and really a different view of what poverty is doing. It's affecting the nations. And actually, it's a barrier to the gospel. And so I want to walk through that with you real quick. And you see, out of 7, pe 7 billion people today... 44% of the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. 14% of the world live on less than $1.25 a day. 
and 29% of the world population is still considered unreached or has never heard the name of Jesus. Now, what sticks out to me as we look at those statistics, you might be saying, Adam, what does the unreached and the poor have to do with each other? Where do they really correlate? Well, the reality is that that is actually most of the 1040 window. And most of those people that are unreached, about 20% of the 29% that are considered unreached are actually still in that 44% that live in less than $2.50 a day. See, the gospel is part of access to God. And also it is access to resources because the gospel changes lives. And the gospel changes how we live. It changes everything about us. And so those that are unreached with the gospel experience poverty in a way that you and I really don't understand. Because the idea, the concept of hope and grace is only found in Jesus. And that changes government systems. That changes societies. That changes everything. So when you live without hope, you live without grace, and you live in complete abject poverty, it's because you don't know the hope or the name of Jesus. And if you don't know his name and you're completely unreached, I hope you see today how poverty and the unreached, those two maps actually cross over each other. And they become a Venn diagram of despair where people are lost and they're poor at the same time. And so for us to understand the weight of poverty is to understand it's actually blocking the gospel from entering certain places. And so for us, really, how do we dive into this work? How do we continue to do this? I want to quote one of my friends, and he interests himself in this, and he thinks about this. His name is Ricky Algaretto, and he says, What interests me is the fact that when you overlay the map of those who are unreached with the gospel and those where the largest concentrations of poverty, there's a strong correlation. Why is this? Well, it makes sense. These are the hardest places to reach in the world. To be a missionary in an area of deep poverty means moving my family into a place that may have no electricity, no water, no plumbing, no Western education system, no modern medical care. It means learning a new culture and a new language. It most likely means living in a gated house walled off from my neighbors, both physically and metaphorically. It means that even as a missionary, I will still be much richer than those around me. And so that is why we need to enter into supporting national leaders. So that when we have a vision of planting 100 churches nationally here in the States and 100 churches internationally here at the well, we really need to raise up leaders because they're able to reach their people in a way that we never could, that me and Anthony could never make an impact the way certain friends of ours in the Middle East can. One would have to go learn the language and maybe him and I could fit in a little bit better than some other people on staff at the well. But really when we dive in there, we would be clueless how to really make an impact. And so it's so hard to go into these places because the gospel has not been allowed there in some ways because of poverty, because of the systems in place. And so if we continue to look here at what we just read in Matthew 25, we see that Jesus says in verse 34, he says, Then I will say to those on, my, on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. One of the things right off the bat here that really strikes me is that the kingdom had been prepared before the foundation of the world. That he had been preparing a place for the righteous. Jesus knew who was going to serve the poor. 
and yet he still gives them a chance to do this. And, and when I look at these, these are also really identity statements. I am hungry, I am thirsty, I am a stranger, I'm alone is what he's saying there. I am naked, I am a prisoner. These are identity statements. Don't you love that Jesus uses people to introduce each other to him? That Jesus uses people to change people's identity? When you're stepping in to help with poverty, you're actually stepping in, stepping in to change somebody's identity. You're stepping in to show them that Jesus is better and that's where they find their hope and their joy in him. You're giving people access to the name of Jesus. So what causes poverty? Poverty, a quote from Steve Corbett here from a book called When Helping Hurts that we'll talk more about in just a second. It says, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. He's really saying it's the absence of peace. When you're in poverty, you're not experiencing the peace of God. You're not experiencing what God created and designed you for. One of the stories that always sticks out to me is a friend of mine that I met that we spoke broken English back and forth to each other for weeks. He was a Bulgarian artist. And when he sat on the ground and we met each other in Thessaloniki, Greece, he had been ostracized, he had been rejected, he had been thrown on the streets. And nobody knew that he was a professional artist until we gave him some colored pencils and a notepad and he drew a masterpiece for us. And what I realized in that moment is that because he's in poverty, the world is not experiencing his gifts, but also those gifts are being used to worship God and God is not being given the worship he deserves because people have oppressed him and put his gifts down. People have hurt him and crushed him. And so in that moment, he's not able to use his gifts to glorify God the way he was created to. I think that makes the heart of God pretty angry if you ask me. And so when we got to enter in and simply bless him with something small to use his gifts, he came alive. And he was able to enjoy life because he was enjoying worshiping God with his gifts. He was able to have peace in that moment. So what poverty is, what is poverty? Poverty is fragility. Poverty makes you fragile. Poverty is being flawed. Poverty is being oppressed. Poverty is absence and uh, depredation. Poverty hides its victims. Poverty is monotonous. Poverty is dangerous. Poverty is illiterate. Poverty limits financial planning. Poverty is undisciplined. Poverty can be embarrassing. Poverty has a gender. Bryant Myers observes, women perform two-thirds of the world's work and earn one-tenth of the world's income, are two-thirds of the world's illiterate, and own less than one one-hundredth of the world's property. Mm-hmm. That is a problem. Wow. Poverty is a problem. And so we see that we are called to advocate, to step up, to lead, to have these opportunities. You and I have the opportunity to do that. If you're watching this, you have the technology, you have the money to do something. The poor believe that poverty is permanent and unchangeable. Some would say it's ordained by God. This is just the way it is. I'm born into this and this is just the way it is. The poor believe that since their lot in life is to be poor, the future is closed. It's hard to dream when you're poor. It's hard to dream when you've got nothing in your bank account. You don't know what's next. The poor believe that good things are only for the rich. They believe that all is good in life exists in small quantities, so there's no way that they could touch it. But see, Jesus does all these things for us. He's the bread of life when we're hungry. He's the water of life 
when we're thirsty. When we were aliens and foreigners, when we were strangers, he welcomed you and I in. He did all this for us. Now we get to do this for him because we get to image him. We get to live like him and be like our king and our savior. Too many of us forget that we've been saved from something. We forget that we've been saved from really poverty, that we were poor in spirit, that we were dead in our sin and our transgressions, and we have been saved. And part of that is bringing us out of darkness so that we can be a light to others. Verse 37, Jesus goes on, he says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The powerful thing about the least of these is that when Jesus is talking about caring for the least of these, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about that if you're saved, if you're in me, you're going to do this. If you are doing this, and it's crazy here, is he's calling them the righteous because he has clothed you with righteousness if you're saved. It's not your righteousness that you earned by your works. It's that through the righteousness of Christ, you're doing these works. A few weeks ago when we started this series, Tori talked about really this vertical relationship with God and this horizontal relationship with others. And right here, it's so clear that actually you and I are the ones meant to bridge that gap. We're meant to introduce others to Christ. And so if we're gonna image God in the world, we better care for the poor, or we're not actually acting like our Father. We're not caring for the least of these. So this morning, we need to pray and ask God to open our eyes because what's really easy to do is for us to write a check or click on something and feel really good about ourselves and minimize the severity of what Jesus is saying here, particularly as Americans. It's easy for us to feel good or to give a $5 bill at a stoplight and think we've made a difference in the world. Really, you're just fulfilling yourself. You're not actually helping anybody. And so I want to challenge you when you consider who the least of these are. If Jesus Christ is identifying himself with the least of these, who are you not to do that? I mean, we are, for me, if you think, oh, I'm one of the least of these, I have to humble myself. I'm just going to confess to you, that's hard. I don't want to admit I'm one of the least of these. I don't want to admit my need. But if Jesus Christ could do that, oh, I got to get over myself. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff here. And so I want to introduce maybe a new concept or a new word here. And I'm going to say it really slowly and awkwardly, so bear with me, but it's contemporaneity. I didn't say that very slowly. Contemporaneity. And so it really means that you and I are contemporaries with the poorest of the poor, with the least of these. That you and I would have a better understanding that we are all people made in the image of God. That we can hop on a flight today and be in Mozambique. That we can hop on a flight and be in Calcutta, India in less than 15 hours. You are doing life with these people, whether you realize it or not. You can drive to 183 in Mopac and walk to those tents right now. You can just pause this video and go do that and go pray for somebody. You can do that. You're contemporaries with these people because you're living in the same time as them. God has called you for such a time as this. He's giving you an opportunity to live in today. 
And so uh, I look at another quote here from When Helping Her. It's a great book that I would suggest that if you want to know more about how you can bless others, that you dive into that. Steve Corbett says this, Until we embrace our mutual brokenness, our work with low-income people is likely to do more harm than good. I sometimes unintentionally reduce poor people to objects that I use to fulfill my own need to accomplish something. I'm not okay, and you are not okay, but Jesus can fix us both. We need to understand that we're contemporaries with those that are poor, that are the least of these. When you look on in Matthew 25, you see in verse 41 there that Jesus says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Even in that sentence, as deep and intense as that is, I see that that was not prepared for us as people. It was prepared for Satan and his angels. God's heart, even in this last effort here, is not that people would go to hell, but it is a reality for those that even consider themselves saved and there's no fruit in their lives. They're probably not even saved in the first place. And so right here we see the seriousness of this. And then you see where Jesus calls them out and he says, you did not do these things for me. You did not clothe me when I was naked. You did not feed me when I was hungry. But then in verse 46, he says this, and these will go away into eternal punishment, those that did not do these things, but the righteous into eternal life. You and I are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's why you're righteous. And so really we have to understand that our theology of poverty is kind of actually a theology of wealth because we can't even think in an impoverished mindset. We can't even think what it looks like to live on $1.25 a day. And for us to understand that we would be considered the righteous wealthy is that God has put you and I in a place to be able to do something about this and that he's prepared a place for you, that when you live in the security of knowing that you're going to be with him, that you live differently here on this earth. And see, if if we try to say, oh, if I don't do this, then I'll go to hell, then yeah, you're right. There's something here that you actually missed God if you're not willing to do this. You missed being with him and being about your father's business. In this parable, it's really interesting and probably the most remarkable statement is that the son of God, the king of kings, would identify himself with the least of these on earth. That not only did he come down and was born as a baby, but he actually is identifying himself with the least of these. This is an overwhelming work for us to step into. Poverty is overwhelming. It's overwhelming to those in poverty and it's overwhelming to us as we try to step into this work. Now, I wanna quote one of my friends, Pastor Rob Campbell, he says this, find a need, meet the need and pray for all. Find the need, meet the need and pray for all. You will be overwhelmed if you try to take on everything that you see in front of you. But be obedient and listen to God about who he wants you to bless right now, today. So I wanna encourage you to do three things as we close today of how you can step into this. The first is that you'd really be awakened and you would understand what poverty looks like. I mean, we've done some incredible things around the church recently with the COVID-19 fund. You guys gave generously and you blessed so many. Thank you for doing that. Some of you have been serving within your community groups and there's opportunities to serve at places like Mission Possible here in our city and they're doing great work with the poor in our city. Even our Barcelona team in Spain, they've actually taken people into their homes off the streets who had nowhere to go. And so we applaud what God is doing in our church family and ways that you can serve even today. 
But to be awakened, I want to give you two resources. The first is this book I've quoted a few times called When Helping Hurts. This is a great book for us to humble ourselves, to realize our opportunities to give and our opportunities to serve. So I'd encourage you, if you want to dive into this more, read this book. It will help you understand how you can make a difference without really glorifying yourself and ultimately glorifying God. Number two is an app, and you can download this. You can pause this and look it up right now if you want to, but it's from an organization called Our Calling. And in Dallas, they started this, and they set up this opportunity where you could look up on an app all these places to help the poor if there was any resources available. And actually, they've expanded to Austin as well. And so if you find yourself talking with somebody and you're saying, I don't know where to send this person, I don't know who to take them to, you can actually download that app and look and it'll search the area where you are and you have tons of resources to go and actually take people with you to bless them in ways that you probably couldn't even. And so I would encourage you to download that app. And if you're asking the question, well, Adam, you know, I, I wanna learn these things, but do I give out cash? Well, to be honest with you, I'd tell you not to. To be honest, I would say that you're asking the wrong question there. Because if cash is the end of your giving, then you're thinking that poverty is all about material things. And you would have missed the fact that there's so much more to do with poverty, so much more pain that needs to be dealt with that cash can't fix. In fact, cash fuels prostitution on the streets. Tents become brothels. And shoes even become used for trading for drugs and things like that. And so I would encourage you, man, Use these apps like Our Calling. Give people help that will last them. Serve them over the long haul with endurance. Number two is, is to give. Uh, I, I said earlier, our theology of poverty is actually a theology of wealth. And I want to give you some notes from a message from Ben Stewart. Some of you Aggies out there. Any Aggies in here? Praise God. Okay, so Ben Stewart in 2015 said this. He says, we're a lot richer than we think and a lot less generous than we think. A study in 2015 showed only 10 to 25%, so one out of 10 or one to four, Christians in America are giving 10%. Wow. On average, Christians give 2.5% to the church, or what is even worse, in general to any charity. However, during the Great Depression, that percentage was 3.3%. He encourages those that he's speaking to that night to consider what if? What if every Christian only in America gave 10% of their wealth? 10%. Every professing believer. This just blew me away, okay? If every self-proclaimed Christian in America gave 10% of their annual income, it would amount to an additional $165 billion per year. $25 billion would relieve global hunger and starvation and preventable disease in five years. 12 billion would eliminate illiteracy globally in five years. 15 billion would create water and clean water and sanitation over the next five years. 1 billion would fund all current overseas missionary work. Now, for those of you that are good at math, that leaves 100 to 110 billion left over, okay? That we could do so much more. So as we close today, do you see what could be? Do you see what could be when we start to step into this individually and as a church? Can you imagine 
the change that could happen in our city if just we did that here at the well? I mean, we say here at the well that generosity is worship. What if God's people started worshiping him fully? So number one, be awakened. Number two is just simply give. And number three is that you would do this with humility. Mother Teresa once wrote, if you are humble, nothing will touch you because you know what you are. Our pursuit of humility is likewise rooted in the realization of our dependence on God in sensing that God is the source of, source of wealth and opportunities that we get to enjoy. He's our source of truth, of hope, of grace, and of mercy. That when we worship him fully, when we give everything that we have, it blesses others around us and it knocks down barriers to the gospel. See, in the garden, God came down and Adam and Eve were hungry. He gave them food to eat. In the garden, God walked with them. They were not alone. He was not a stranger to them. They were thirsty. He let them drink of him. When they sinned, he covered them and he clothed their nakedness. When they were in poverty, Jesus came to them and he covered them. And he does the same thing for you and me. You and I can do that for everyone around us when we open our eyes and we see the least of these. Would you ask God to show you and open your eyes to see those around you? Would we understand that when we push back poverty, we're pushing back obstacles for the gospel and we're pushing back the darkness that is around those that are missing out on the hope and joy that you and I are experiencing? Would we not love our comfort more than our king? And so would you pray with me to that end this morning that our hearts would change and we'd be awakened to the poverty in this world that goes way beyond these 50 states. It goes way beyond money. It goes way beyond material things. It affects our hearts. And so would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you gave of yourself freely. You gave your whole life. I thank you that you give us life in you and you give it abundantly. Thank you for clothing us with righteousness, God. Lord, when we see those that are hungry, would our eyes be opened? When we see those that are thirsty, would our eyes be opened? Just as you were anointed to preach good news to the poor, would you let us do the same, God? Would we look more like your son, Jesus, as we give you our lives as we walk with you, as we give everything to you so that you would get all the glory. We pray that we would not make poverty a political issue, that it would not be to the right or to the left, but that it would be a kingdom issue, that it would be about our hearts submitting to you and serving you with everything that we have. We love you, Jesus, and we give you our hearts. Would you change and transform us to give away what we have so the gospel would be proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen.